Hi, this is Bernstein Bell of Fear Factory, and you are listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, this is Alexia from Children of Bottom, and you are listening to Iron City Rocks. This is Aaron from Gemini Syndrome, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Welcome to episode 281 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, Sean, coming from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Starting off this episode, we talked to Aaron Nordstrom from the band Gemini Syndrome. Gemini Syndrome is currently out on the road with Avatar and First Degree, and they'll be hitting Otter Bar in Pittsburgh on September 15th. Before we get to that interview, though, here is Gemini Syndrome's newest single. This is called Eternity. vocalist of the band Gemini Syndrome. How are you doing today, Aaron? Doing good, man. Thank you. Thanks for uh, taking the time to talk to us. Uh, currently, you guys are out on tour with uh, Avatar, and that tour is going to be hitting uh, Pittsburgh here soon, so I uh, want to kind of touch base with you guys. Um, how's the tour going so far? It's been really good, man. A bunch of, bunch of good guys over there at camps. Shooting as well. Shows have been good. We're having a good time. Cool, cool. Now, um, you guys are a relatively new band, been out for a few years. Uh, your debut album came out two years ago, almost two years to the date, actually. Um, can you talk yeah. talk a little bit about the history of the band for our listeners who might not be familiar with you guys yet? Uh, yeah, we formed in early 2010. Uh, we're based out of Los Angeles. We're all kind of transplants from different areas. Met out there and uh, started just grassroots touring on our own, man. Uh, Hit the road hard for the first couple of years until we eventually signed. We had recorded an original album uh, with Mikey Dole that we released uh, an EP of. And uh, then after that, getting signed, we, we recorded the release Lux in 2013. 
and been touring on that pretty heavy since then, uh, minus the last six months we took off to start working on the second record, which we will be finishing recording after this tour. Cool, cool. Now, uh, Gemini Syndrome is kind of an interesting name. Is there a story behind the name? Uh, a little bit. I, uh, if Gemini represents the swing of the zodiac, uh, duality, mm-hmm. and a syndrome is a collection of traits or qualities, uh, more or less the human condition that Gemini syndrome basically means balancing human condition. And one thing I kind of like, kind of dig about you guys is, uh, you know, your music's great and all that, but you got a lot of cool artwork, like in the CD and, and on your website. And and is there like a, a over, like theme with the artwork and the band and whatnot? Um, I mean, we're we're definitely uh, into having a lot of artwork, I and mean, I think that you know, as as we grew up listening to records, buying records, that the band did the gravitated towards put a lot of emphasis on that. Um, and just artwork kind of works on more than one level. It works on the sonic level, the music, the visual level, too. Um, we're definitely hands-on with it. We work with a guy named Cameron Gray out of Australia. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's been very hands-on with us. guy. excellent artist. Very unique. And uh, he's been able to kind of capture the ideas that we've been trying to put down uh, that line up directly with you know, the meanings of the songs and, and right. the purpose of the band. Cool. Now, uh, you mentioned the uh, the new album. Um, you guys released the first single, uh, Eternity, uh, last month, about a month ago. Um, mm-hmm. Can you talk about uh, what we can expect from the new album? Um, yeah, I mean, it'll be it'll be a step forward from the first record, some, some kind of evolution, where it will ultimately be, you know, the sound of this band. It'll be Gemini Syndrome, and it'll be a new, a new chapter in that. Right. Uh, I think it might be slightly more organic than the first record, uh, but at the time itself, we'll see how that really ends up at the end of the day. Cool. Now, one thing, um, you know, Lux came out, got a lot of great reviews, both critically and from fans and whatnot. Do you guys feel pressure with the sophomore album? Because I know a lot of times, you know, there's that mythical sophomore slump time kind of thing. Do you guys are pressured at all, or you just ignore that and doing what you're doing? Yeah, we're just doing what we're doing, man. Um, we're going to put out a great record. Right. And, uh, you know, and I hope people like it. We're writing music that we enjoy writing and we enjoy playing. And at the end of the day, that's, I think, why we've ultimately done it our whole lives. So, right. obviously, hopefully people like it. I, I mean, the sophomore record and the pressure that comes with it to, to follow up whatever we did first, you know, lots of bands talk about the fact that you have years and years to write the first record. And, sometimes weeks to write your second one. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, for us, it wasn't really an issue. We, we had gone a lot of a lot of years without really dialing in and writing the music. You know, always kind of writing ideas here and there, and we had a lot to drop on, but we hadn't really dove in head first. So that when, when we started it, it, it all came pretty naturally. Right. And, uh, we're, we're very happy with it. Now, you guys, uh, is it a collaborative effort writing, or do uh, you just put up, like, songwriting duties? Uh, it's definitely collaborative. Right. No, Eternity, like I said, came out a month ago. It's a great song, so hopefully, uh, you know, the album will continue what you got going on with that. Um, can you talk a little bit about how how you personally got started with the uh, music? Yeah, I started playing music when I was very young. Uh, I was raised in a musical home. My mother was a singer, so I was raised in her singer. And I was at a very young age, got involved with piano at a very young age. Pick up the guitar when I was about 11, uh, and drums 
I was about a lot the same age. And I uh, started playing in bands when I was about 14. Um, I'd gone to college for classical music theory and composition. I'd gone to school for uh, guitar and vocal performance. Uh, and it's just been the, pretty much the number one focus in my life right. the entire time. Where do you, who are your main influences? So that ranges, man. I listen to all sorts of stuff. You know, like I said, growing up, I was, I was playing piano, so I was playing a lot of classical, a lot of jazz. Mm-hmm. And that was the original influence. And throughout my life, I've gone through all sorts of phases. You know, coming into the rock music as a teenager, getting into the grunge scene and Nirvana and Soundgarden and Alice in Chains, and that led into, into metal stuff, so some Pantera, Psycho Negative. That eventually led into like black metal and prog metal. A big Opeth fan, big Catatonia fan, big Porcupine Tree fan. Uh, but I listen to some hip hop I really love, there's some, some electronic music I really love, folk stuff I really love. So it varies. So you kind of draw your influences from you know anything you hear, then, right? Absolutely. With being a, a new band um, in like today's music environment, can you talk a little bit about challenges that a band starting out might have to face? Yeah, it's tough to stay. It's tough to stay on people's palate. You know, there's so much information coming at you all the time, and it's so easy to skip the things. So I think to stay, I don't know if the relevant is the word I would want to use, but just to stay in the in the in the focus of people's minds is is a challenge, and you have to give them content constantly. You have to always have something to be to be looked at or listened to. Um, I think a big a big tool that can be utilized in that same regard, the fact that information is so free now, mm-hmm. is that you have the ability to you have the ability to communicate so quickly and so easily with people. And uh, you know, that's one of the things we, we very much enjoy as a band and as a whole is keeping in touch with fans and being able to communicate with them and creating kind of a community and family is within it. And uh, technology has allowed us to do that. Right. And it can be it can be a demon in and of its own right, the fact that you know, no secret that it's harder, you know, people don't buy records the same way they used to. I won't say that people don't buy records because that's not true, but right. it's definitely not how it was in the mid 90s. You know, nobody goes platinum, not even in like pop music, you know, it's, it's very difficult. And uh, so that the whole environment has just kind of changed. Right. Um, and you have, to, you have to change with it. Now, do you think uh, stuff like social media and the internet, would you call that a blessing or a curse or maybe a little of both? A little of both. It's the same thing, man. You know, it's the fact that anybody can have access to you, which is great. Right. But then anybody can have access to anything, so you can easily get lost in the, in the flood of information. So it's a matter of just trying to distinguish yourself as something that's unique and something that's worthwhile that people want to keep coming back and checking out. And again, you know, the ability to... To, to talk to people directly from all over right. the world is, 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 in an instant is a huge benefit for us. I think for anybody, just for the, the, the world of communication in general. But, you know, it also lends to, you know, haters and whatever. Well, it's going to happen. Everybody has a voice now, too, which can be good and can be bad. Right, right. Now, you guys have had uh, the opportunity to play all kinds of different shows. Like, you know, you did Rock on the Range a couple years ago. You do, like, the... Uh, you know, smaller tours and stuff. Like when that first time when you stepped out on a stage with you know that whole giant crowd, at like Rock in the Range or something. What was you know what's that kind of feeling like 
getting to that point. Uh, I mean, those, those are crazy experiences, man. We've been, quite, we've been blessed to do a lot of those festivals. Mm-hmm. We were at Rock and the Range two years in a row. The first year was, you know, opening on Sunday at the smallest stage, and the second year was was uh, a later slot. It was still early in the day, but on the second stage, we played the same amount of people. And uh, it's certainly an adrenaline rush. Right. But I, I wouldn't say it's not... It's not too much different than playing a club show or, you know, we've played arenas with five Finger Death Punch mm-hmm. we've played smaller clubs with other bands. You know, it's, it's all a show and there's always people there so that same mentality goes into it. I think, if anything, the difference would be you're feeding off of, you know, 20,000, 50,000 people. Right. That, that energy is insane. You know, of uh, course. You have to be able to kind of, you have to be able to kind of maintain that. It's, it's really easy to want to just go out at a hundred percent immediately burn yourself out after a song and to try to like maintain that excitement throughout an entire set with a challenge for me. But, uh, I think that gave the kind of use to the Cool. Cool. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then like the, you know, the club tours too, I guess are a little, would be a little more intimate. Do you, uh, do you, um, do you like that intimacy also? Yeah, I like them both. I don't have a preference to the two of them. You know, there's, right. we, we just played a spot up in, uh, in Wisconsin last night at the smaller, smaller bar mm-hmm. club that we've been to a couple times. And, like, you know, there's no barricade. There's no space between you and the crowd. Like, I'm literally, like, inches away from people. Right. And uh, it's just a whole different feeling. That's really cool, too. You can get up in people's faces. You know, I don't see very well. I'm, I'm legally blind. So that, in a sense, is actually kind of cool and more intimidating for me to be right up in someone's face right. and see all the details and know exactly if, you know, how they're reacting to it. And being in a festival where it's just the sea of people and the details kind of get lost for someone like me, but mm-hmm. you know, it's just my personal experience. So this tour is going to be wrapping up, uh, I think, in a month or so. Um, and then you're going to go back and focus on finishing up the album? Yep. Yeah, we'll be with Avatar till... Uh, I think the 23rd of this month, and then we're hopping on some headline dates with uh, Nine Electric and Exotype. Mm-hmm. And we'll be getting home. The last show is uh, October 9th in Scottsdale, Arizona. And then we'll hit home for maybe, you know, an hour or two. <laughs> a day or two, I don't know. And then uh, straight to Vegas, and we'll finish recording the record. Cool, cool. And then we're hoping to see the album early next year? Early next year is what we're shooting for. I'd say ideally March 1st. Cool. Don't quote me on that, but that's, that's our goal. Cool, and then right back out on the road? Then it'll be back to our normal tour schedule with being gone all the time. <laughs> Does that get old sometimes? I mean, there's, there are times where you kind of want to break, or is it uh, is it keep invigorating you? I mean, it, it can take its toll after, after months, right. for sure. Um, you know, a big, a big thing for us in the past has been transportation, but... Mm-hmm. And when you're when you're starting out, you don't have any kind of money. You're not making any kind of money. Right. You know, we were we were driving with eight or eight or nine people in a van, right. with no benches, and they're sleeping on like, you know, folding chairs or camping pads or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and that's so grueling. And then we we saved up some money and we bought an RV, thinking that you know that would be an investment. And the thing kept breaking down, so it was like we went you know an entire year with like, you know, no air conditioning. Right. In the summertime, no heat in the winter, you know, no refrigeration, so you couldn't keep any kind of food. So you're literally eating gas stations for every meal. 
And at that point, like after a few months, we were all insanely burnt out. Of course, of course. And, uh, you know, we're renting vehicles at this point, which is definitely an expense to, you know, be taken into consideration. But just the, just the, the factor of having a comfortable vehicle to, to travel in that's reliable, that has, you know, roadside, you know, even on this tour, the first day of it, we took a van and a trailer out uh, for the first week to, to get to where we were picking up the, the bandwagon thing. And, you know, with after the first show, the, the brake drum on the trailer lights on fire in the middle of Texas, in the middle of nowhere. Right. And we luckily had bottled water. We're putting that out like that kind of stuff. You know, just travel. It's hard, man. It's hard to travel in those in those conditions. Right, right. And then to be able to be able to put a show on every night and try to perform well when you're not rested, you're not fed well, and you're not nourished properly. You know, that really sucks. And it takes it takes a certain breed of person to to do that. Not everybody's cut out for it. Exactly. And that's just that's just the way it is, and not everybody's a road dog. Uh, I've been doing this a long time, and I'm pretty used to it, but definitely having the amenities at hand is, is right. a huge factor in, in the endurance of being able to tour. Sure, sure, sure. Now, do you guys find it easy to write on the road, or do you guys just leave that for the studio? Uh, yeah, I can I write anywhere. Cool. I've never, unfortunately, never had the problem with writer's block. I've been saying that a lot lately, so I hope I curse myself, but... Uh, whether it be musical or lyrical content, I don't really have any, any shortage of anything to say. Cool. You know, so that's never really been an issue, and I, I don't think it ever will be. I think we'll just have to serve it for days and days and days. Right. Cool. Well, um, I know you guys got a show tonight, so I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I want to thank you for thank you for uh, talking to us because uh, it's a pleasure talking to you. I'm looking forward to seeing you guys. I haven't had a chance to catch you guys yet, so. It's uh, definitely uh, you know two bands I haven't seen yet, Avatar and you guys. So I'm really looking forward to that show next week. You guys will be here in Pittsburgh, and uh, we're definitely looking forward to having you guys here. We're looking forward to being there, man. Like I said, it's been a it's been a minute. We took a break, longest break we've ever had. So it's good to be back out. Cool, cool. Well, uh, thanks a lot, Aaron, and uh, we'll see you here real soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Okay, I'd like to thank Aaron for taking the time to talk to us. Again, Gemini Syndrome will be at the Ultra Bar on Tuesday, September 15th, along with Avatar, First Degree, and local openers Kevlar and Talion. Also, look for their second album early next year. Up next on the program, Jason Hand from Pennsylvania Music News checks in to discuss this past year's Mayhem Festival. Jason Alves has a lot of good things to say, so without any further ado, here's Jason Hand. And I say welcome to the show! All right. On the phone, I have from Pennsylvania Music News, the owner and photographer and uh, all-around great guy, Jason Han. How you doing today, Jason? What's up, Sean? Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, um, thanks for coming I've... on. It's uh, it's a little something different, you know, kind of discussing a little bit about the music industry, what's been going on, kind of more of like a news thing, it's a little different, you know, than what the listeners are used to so let's see how this works out one thing that's been getting a lot of uh news lately is uh, not lately i guess it's kind of died down by now is, is, is the demise of the mayhem festival which if any of you were out at any of the dates probably does not come as a big shock um one thing that i'm kind of curious about your thoughts or whatnot is what uh, you think uh you know, there's been a lot of back and forth with, you know, the founder of Mayhem and then Kerry King had some nice things to say and even right. Randy Bly from Lamb of God, you know, had some nice stuff to say also. <laughs> yeah. Where do you think the problem was with this whole Mayhem, I don't want to say debacle, but uh, it definitely was not up to par. 
Um, honestly, man, I think it started way before this year even came about. Um, the last couple years, the lineup's been there, but the ticket prices keep going up and up. And we've talked about this before. I mean, you, we see each other out at shows all the time. Um, the ticket prices were going up and up, and the lineups kept dwindling down to where, I mean, we had King Diamond. <laughs> King Diamond's cool, but, you know, he's not really a, a co-headliner in a festival of that caliber, or what used to be that caliber. Right. I thought, I mean, this year's lineup, I think, you know, I don't know if it was a fact that they waited too long to even try booking or anything. I mean, King Diamond, I think, is a great act. And last year when he did his solo tour, I thought it was one of the best shows of the year. Um, But I think it even comes down to, like, you know, it was probably not a big enough draw to headline a festival of this size. I'm not sure if I'd agree about the lineups dwindling. Last year, I thought they had a pretty diverse lineup, which I thought was interesting. And actually, they had three side stages compared to the usual two, which was a lot bigger. It's kind of almost like they took you know, a step forward, and then they just kind of fell off the cliff with this year. I think what happened last year is, uh, I mean, they, they had all those stages, and they had the big lineup. But with that, they had to jack their, ch- their ticket prices almost triple to what they were. I mean, when we first started going to these, um, four or five years ago, we take the same group of four or five guys every year, and uh, we were paying like forty bucks for second row or pit tickets even. And, right. You know, last year we were seventh or six and seven at First Niagara, which is way the hell back there, and they were still like seventy bucks. Wow. You know, they're they pri- I, honestly, I think they priced themselves right out of the game. Um, that and you know, John Reese was also the guy that ran Uproar Tour, and you see where that went. Yeah, um, he priced himself out of that one, and you know Kevin Lyman has been the Warp Tour guy for years and years and years, and they have a good thing there and seem to be able to keep that going with uh, the younger crowds. I mean, it's it's definitely not the same Warp Tour that we had when we were um, oh. in high school oh, with no. the punk music when we could see, you know, Rancid and Bad Religion and Pennywise and all those guys and No Effects right on the same bill. Um, it's definitely a different time, but I think the ticket prices. For the metalhead group that was going to that, not the fat, bald, and ugly ones that drove the women <laughs> away, like Kevin said, um, just the average blue collar guy, man, they don't they don't want to spend ninety some dollars for a front row ticket to see, um, you know, like Five Finger. I mean, you can go to a Five Finger show and get tickets for sixty bucks. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not yeah. a festival, but it's it's kind of the same thing. So I think the ticket prices had a lot to do with it. Yeah, that that's a big thing too. And you know, Carrie King made an interesting comment about the side stage bands not being as higher caliber bands as what people are used to now i thought the side stage bands were great although i don't think they were bands that i would uh pay again ticket prices that much money for uh, i mean white chap was a great band they headlined the second stage but uh you know in past years headlining you've had machine head you've had anthrax you know you've had you know anthrax you know big four, one of the big four played metallica slayer you know you were missing that big name second stage and i'm almost thinking that i don't know i mean it's slayer probably could have been the headline of the second stage yeah um Slayer's kind of a niche band, you know. It's it's weird to say that, but Slayer has a niche fan base. They are right. the, the diehard. Me and you, we're, I mean, we're both Slayer fans. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's we're we're both we're both right there. They have a niche group of people, um, that are going to follow them around like every other band and do exactly what they want to do, and pay the money to see them. Um, 
it's it's hard to say if they were. I think they're bigger than a headliner of a second stage. I mean, they've been yeah they've been headlining their own festivals and you know True. stuff for however many years. So to put them down on the second stage, I honestly don't think any of the guys in the band would have went for it. Probably not. And yeah. if I know, like when Anthrax did the second stage a couple years ago, they wanted to do that. They they asked for the second stage. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, just seeing, you know, they toured, they played, you know, stage AE and, you know, again, that's a big venue, but, you know, inside 2,500, some people, I think, uh, it, uh, you know, that's far cry from, you know, the 20,000 out at, uh, first Niagara. Um, I almost said Star Lake there. That's kind of dating myself there. But um yeah, everybody still says Star Lake. That's that's <laughs> the name of that place to a lot of people. I was just reading an article about that the other day on Facebook. Um everybody was in a big heated discussion of whether it's Star Lake or First Niagara or whatever it was last year. They seem to change the name of the place every two years or something like that. So you know it was pretty funny to watch people bicker back and forth about that. It's like man it, it is well, what it forget. is <laughs> The post Gazette Pavilion was in there too. So yeah, that that was it. That was the other one I couldn't think of. That was it last year. Yeah. Well, of course, I called Mountain Arena Civic Arena up until the day they tore it down. So it's <laughs> always be Civic Arena to me. Yeah, we're not um, gonna get into that one. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> the uh, <laughs> that my first concert was Metallica at the Civic Arena with Queens Rink. So that was you know that's really dating myself there. But that's a, that's a hell um, of a first concert there, man. Holy hell. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was. Uh, I still remember it. And actually, I I actually found that show on on YouTube, and it was Jason Newstead's birthday. I remember everything that happened about that show. You said you almost set yourself up to never want to see another concert ever in your <laughs> life. Right there. It's really hard seeing Metallica after that show. I'll tell you that. It's it is. It really is. We saw him in Atlantic City, and uh, we saw him at the new Yankee Stadium for the Big Four in New York City, and. Uh, it was pretty nuts. It really was. Yeah. I was like, I'm gonna be ruined for at least two years after watching these guys play. I uh, I haven't. The last time I saw Metallica was on the Fuel tour. I think that was the last time they were in Pittsburgh. I would have loved to have seen a big four show, but that wasn't in the cards. Um, now, if you look at Mayhem numbers, getting back to that, I guess a little tangent, you know, side tangent. But if you're looking at the Mayhem numbers, and then you look at the Slipknot show. Three weeks later, Slipknot comes and practically sells the place out. Right. Um, you know, there was a lot of talk too. You know, metal's dead, metal's dead, metal's dead. I don't think that's the case at all. Slipknot, Lamb of God, that show tour proved that metal's not dead. I think it was, and I don't know about you, but after last year's mayhem and in in the news that Lamb of God and Slipknot were both releasing albums. I expected one of them to be headlining mayhem this year. I think a lot of other people did as well. I mean, I think. Well, I, th- I expected both of them to be on that tour, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, either or, it's. I think they dicked around too long. If I can say that, I'm sorry. If I can't, no, yeah, that's fine. It's too late now. Um, I just think they dicked around too long. I mean, you know, in the past, even last year, the the lineup, or the tickets go on sale January, and the dates get announced, and the lineup is a month or two later. This yeah. year, we didn't get a lineup until like two weeks before the freaking festival started. Right. You know, yeah, it was, you, leave, you know, you they the had leaked rumors, but nothing confirmed. Right. They left all the people that are going to pay the money to come to these shows in the dark about who was playing. And then when they announced the lineup for this year, it was like, wow, dude, <laughs> really, is that what you're going to give us? But, you know, the Slipknot show was probably probably the show of the season for me um, at that particular venue. I've been to a lot of different things out there this year, Van Halen and a couple country shows like Luke Bryan and some other things, but 
the just just the overall crowd and walking through. I mean, we were together for that show. Just seeing everybody there and the the mindset that everybody was in is they wanted the medal. They were they were there to see right. the gigantic stage show. You know, the blood and the sweat and the drummers spinning around on stuff and you know mm-hmm. people running around and jumping in a car like idiots. That's that's why they were there. Um, if they would have been able to do that for Mayhem with another sh- another headliner like that, I think it would have been a different result this year. Yeah, but I, I agree. And I also kind of think that they kind of knew this was going to be the last Mayhem. And I, I think, I don't want to say they half-assed it, but I don't think they spent the time and the money to put on Mayhem the way we're used to. No, there was there's plenty of other available bands that were... I mean, we can say this because we we weren't we're not in the booking position. Uh, we don't know the behind the scenes, but you know, there's plenty of other bands out there with star potential and the star quality that draw the big numbers. And I think they could have got any one of them because you know yeah. there, there wasn't that many touring. There wasn't that many touring this summer at all. Just playing the big festivals, you know, Rock on the Range, uh, Fort Rock, Carolina Rebellion, that whole month of shows. Um, I think that has started to dip into things a little bit. And started pulling. I mean, that's a big freaking month of shows, and they draw genres of all kinds. And I think that's where things are heading now: is the bigger festivals like that, the, the multi-day things. Um, it's more bang for your buck, man. It really is. It's more of the European style of the festival, where right. you have three days and everyone comes to there. And I think that's where it actually needs to kind of go to. You put on a three-day show, you know, pick a weekend. You got more people not having to worry about getting off of work and things like that. You've got, uh, you know, and you're spending, you know, rock and the range tickets aren't going to be that much, aren't that much more expensive than Mayhem, and you get three times as many things going on. Not to mention a lot of the bands that are playing rock and the range, Carolina Rebellion, and all that. They were on Mayhem. Yeah, I mean, we were at Rock on the Range this year. Um, there was like 11 of us and, uh, our tickets were 150 for the weekend. You know I mean? Yeah. That's, that's three days of, you know, 10 AM. It's not like mayhem where it starts at one or two in the afternoon or, you know, warp tour is a different story, but, um, it's from, you know, 10 AM in the morning till 11 or 12 at night. It's, it's a long day of music and, you know, running and drinking and doing all that stuff that you're into. It's more than just a rock show. They have plenty of other things there to see, um, I think that's where it's going to be here soon. Yeah, I'm going to probably have to wrap this up here. I want to thank you for taking the time to talk. You know, it's 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 a pleasure talking to you and a lot of great insights, and uh, hopefully we can do a lot more of these. Absolutely, man. It's been a long time coming. We've been talking about this. I mean, we both have podcasts out, and we both cover so many damn shows together all the time. It just seemed like it would work. So, you know, here's to the future, and let's do a lot more of these, man. Definitely. I'd like to thank Jason for checking in. Me and Jason have talked about doing something like this for a while. I'm glad we actually finally got a chance to do it. Jason's a great guy, has a lot of good insight, so hopefully we'll be seeing a lot more of him on the show. Be sure to check out Pennsylvania Music News at PennsylvaniaMusicNews.com. Also, give them a like on their Facebook page. they got a lot of exciting things happening over there. That about wraps up this episode. I'd like to thank you for tuning in. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to drop us a line at ironcityrocks at gmail.com. You can also check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash ironcityrocks. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash ironcityrocks. And check out our Instagram at instagram.com forward slash ironcityrocks. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>